When do, when do spiritual doubts attack you? For me, it's usually during sleepless nights, after troubling days, and the doubts sometimes rush in. Doubts like, oh, well, what if Jesus isn't the Savior? Or doubts like, what if there is no life after death? And it unsettles me. Or doubts like, oh, how can all the other religions be wrong and only mine be right? Or in those dark hours of the night, if I've been born again and indwelt by God's Spirit, then why do those old insecurities and sins still haunt me? Or if God is love and truth, then why is there so much uncontrolled and even victorious evil in the world? That's me. When do spiritual doubts attack you? I'm convinced that all Christians will struggle with doubt. Oh, of course, some more than others, but all of us in our own ways. Well, think of it. Something as important as the eternal state of your soul ought to call for some serious thought and Possibly some heart-wrenching, heart-searching doubts. One of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, after Jesus had died and they had heard that he had come back to life, listen to these words of Thomas, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. John the Baptist. And when Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, he said, of all those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater. But John the Baptist doubted. In fact, we're going to look at that passage of Scripture and, and look at some of the reasons why doubt started appearing in his life. There's a simple little verse in Jude 22. I think it's an important verse. I think it's for us because doubt is something that we're going to wrestle with. Jude 22 says, Have mercy on those who doubt. Bertrand Russell was born in 1872, died in 1970. He was a philosopher, um, written many, many books. He was an outspoken atheist. Won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1950. His best-known book is, Why I Am Not a Christian. On one occasion, Russell was asked what he would say to God if he found himself standing before him Russell's answer, I probably would ask, Sir, why did you not give me better evidence? 
Well, in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, the Apostle John would differ with Russell. The Apostle John would say he gave us great witnesses that testify to us. Would you please open your Bibles to 1 John 5. Today we're going to look at verses 6 through 12. God has given us great and convincing witnesses. In our passage today, John outlines three of them. And if we look at the context, the the verses right around this passage of Scripture, last week Pastor Chuck ended with verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And look at the verse right after our passage today, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Both of these verses talk about believing in Jesus. And our passage for today gives us some evidence and why we should believe. I think John is being a compassionate and effective shepherd to his readers because he knows that belief in Jesus is sometimes hard. That faith is sometimes difficult. We need some things to hang on to, some things that would help us. Here's the outline of my sermon. First of all, we're going to look at the threefold testimony in verses 6 through 9. And then we're going to take an interlude into Matthew 11 and look at John the Baptist and look at the doubts that rose up in his life and why it happened. And then we'll come back to the passage and we'll look at the purpose of the testimonies in verses 10 through 12. And then I will conclude with some practical steps to take in response to this passage of Scripture. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would teach us, Lord, as we open your word. Lord, give us eyes to see. We know your spirit does that. Lord, give us faith to believe. Lord, help our unbelief. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. Lord, that today would be a day when we would come, become, have an encounter with your word. That your spirit would help us understand. And that we would be different because we gathered here today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, first of all, the threefold testimony. Listen as I read verses 6 through 9. This is he who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. The threefold testimony. Many consider verses 6 through 9 the most difficult to understand of all the verses of 1 John. They're difficult because John seems to use a phrase that the original hearers would Understand. They would hear it and understand it immediately, 
but we don't really understand it. And that phrase is, he is the one who came by water and blood. I think when John used that, the readers just, yeah, okay, we get that. We know what that means. But we don't. And so what do we do with things like that? Well, what we do is we do the best we can. We study. We pray. We ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. That's what I've done this week. Let's look at this first one, the water. The water. As you can imagine, there is a a wide range of interpretations about the water and the blood. From Some look at it as meaning today's ordinances of baptism and communion, the water and the blood. Others have taken these words and gone to, to, the, to the blood and water, the water and blood that came from the side of Jesus when he was on the cross and the spear was thrust in his side and water and blood came out. Some see the understanding of those words there. Well, as I've studied it and as I've looked at it, that's not how I feel. That's not what I believe it means. I believe it refers to the water baptism of Jesus. What does the phrase say? These testify. The water testifies. So think back to the the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist was there, and he was baptizing Jesus. And Jesus went into the water, came up out of the water. Remember what happened then? The Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And then what happened? The Father's voice boomed out. This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. That testifies. The water testifies. The water baptism testifies what God the Father believed and said about his Son. But there's more here. Jesus was in the water. He was physically in the water. And then he came up out of the water. In that day, they argued about the nature of Jesus. Was he truly a man? Had he really taken on human form? Was he physically here? Or was he just a spirit? Or how they would say, was he an embodied phantom of God that had come down? And so they wrestled with that. They wondered about that. And here John is saying, he was in the water. Think a bit more. At the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem with Mary, Mary's water broke and Jesus was born. It says he came by water. I think this testify, this witness of water speaks loud and clear to us that God's son took on human form. That at the incarnation, he took our nature. He walked on this earth. And as the author of the book of Hebrews says, because he did all of that, he can sympathize with us. He can understand us. Because he came and he was one of us. That is a powerful witness. The next one is the blood. There's the water and the blood. Now, the blood is maybe a bit more straightforward. This is in reference to his death. It's the gospel that we preach. 
Then on the cross, he took our place. He was our substitute. He paid the price for our sins. It was a sacrificial death. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no removing of sin. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This blood. As Christians, we speak of the blood. The blood that Jesus shed. It's a powerful witness. It testifies to us that he did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That he shed his blood that we might be saved, that our sins might be forgiven. The blood, it speaks to us that God has a love toward us, that God has a care for us, and a purpose of grace toward us, and he's had this from from everlasting. He did all that we needed. So these powerful witnesses, these powerful testimonies that the water, that at his birth he took on our nature, that with the blood, when he shed his blood, he took on our sins. And then there's this third one. After these two powerful ones, there's the Spirit. You read it here, this is the he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. Hear that. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 7, for there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. The Spirit. Spirit of truth. Jesus said of the Spirit in John 15, He will bear witness about me. Jesus said that, and the Spirit always, always points to Jesus. So I stand before you today and I say, if you believe in Jesus, it is because the Spirit testified to you. If you believe in Jesus today, it is because the Spirit came and opened your spiritual eyes and helped you believe. If you believe today, it is because the Spirit of God came without you even knowing and pointed you to Jesus, that Jesus is the one. Believe in him. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2 that the natural man can't accept these things. These things about water, these things about blood. The natural man can't accept these things. They're folly to him. They're unable to, Paul says, because these things are spiritually discerned. They come to us spiritually. They come to us with the aid and the help of the Spirit. That's why in the Gospels, when Jesus would talk about the Spirit, he would use words like the Spirit will draw us. The Spirit will convict us. The Spirit will guide us. Praise God for the testimony of the Spirit. Maybe you're like me. And I can stand before you, and probably, hopefully all of us could do that. We could stand here and we could say, I know Jesus is my Savior. I know it inside. 
I've become convinced. If that's happened in your life, praise God, that's a miracle. That's something the Spirit of God did. The Spirit opened your eyes, opened my eyes, and helped me believe. But sometimes our faith seems so small, doesn't it? Our faith seems so weak, so full of doubts, so fragile. What did Jesus say about faith? He said, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. Do you know why that is? It's because of weak faith. And my, my faith seems so weak at times. A weak faith receives a strong Christ. Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. This is what God has said. Note the water. Note the blood. Note the spirit. I think John is very intentional in the use of these three. Oh, there's many others that he could say. But he chose these three. I think these three build our affection for Jesus. When we look at the water that he was like us, when we look at the blood that he gave his life for us, when we look at the spirit that's always pointing at Jesus, it builds our affection for Jesus. And oh, may that ever be growing in each and every one of us who can claim Christ as our Savior and Lord. Well, I started with spiritual doubts. Are you doubting Jesus today? Have you ever gone through a period of doubt? For you, what are your sleepless nights? When are those dark nights of your soul when the doubts come? And attack you. Well, John the Baptist, let's look at him. John the Baptist doubted Jesus. And let's be clear there, John the Apostle is the one who wrote 1 John and the other books and the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. John the Baptist is a different person. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, he prepared the way for when Jesus came. John the Baptist, a significant character. There was a stretch in his life when he doubted Jesus. Let's look at it. It's over in Matthew 11. Matthew 11. I'd like to read verses 2 through 6. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Are you the one 
Are you the one, Jesus? Do your doubts come like that? Is he the one? What caused John the Baptist faith to waver? I have just a few things here. Uh, One, difficult circumstances, right? Here he was in prison. Locked up in prison. The difficult circumstances, the hardships of life. And sometimes the difficulties of life can push us to doubts about God. Doubts about his love for us. His care for us. We look around and this shouldn't be happening. Think of John the Baptist. He was the forerunner of Jesus. He lived this austere life. He proclaimed the truth when it wasn't popular. His theme, he must increase and I must decrease. And he lived that out perfectly. And here he is, stuck in a prison. And the doubts started creeping in. This shouldn't be happening. Sometimes difficult circumstances can cause us to doubt. Or in verse 2, incomplete knowledge. John had heard about the things that Jesus was doing. He'd only heard some of them. And what did Jesus say? Go, go and tell him. Go and tell him more. Go and tell him all the things you've seen. All these things that fulfill prophecy. All these things that were told that the Messiah would do. Go and tell John. Make sure John knows all of these things. And incomplete knowledge. So many of our doubts come from incomplete knowledge. John Owen, who lived in the 1600s, he would talk to his congregation and he would say to them, and I say it to you, study Jesus. Study Jesus. Owen would say, you love him not, you trust him not, because you know him not. Study Jesus. Go deep in your understanding of Jesus. If the doubts are coming, you trust him not because you know him not. Study deep. Learn from the Gospels. Consider these testimonies that we're, listening to, that we're speaking of today. Consider them. Let them go deep inside. Sometimes incomplete knowledge. Thirdly, sometimes unrealistic expectations. Verse 3 of that passage. John said, are are, are you the one or should we expect another one? You know, in that day, the Jews expected a Messiah that would deliver their nation, a political leader, a military champion. Maybe this this had started to, to, to seep into John's life creep into his understanding and made him question if Jesus was the one. Unrealistic expectations. And sometimes our doubts come from the same thing. Maybe it's a little different cause. But we think, if I become a Christian, if I become a Christian, all my needs will be met. If I become a Christian, you know, I'll, I'll find a job. My financial problems will, will all be erased. My relational problems will all find their way easily. All my prayers will be answered my life will become victorious and these unrealistic expectations. Do you have a list? What is it for you that is, causes the doubts to come? Or are you still saying, well, no, Christians don't doubt. We should never doubt. 
We should never be at that place. Um, Charles Spurgeon. The prince of preachers lived in the 1800s in England. Listen to what he wrote. My peculiar temptation has been constant unbelief. I know that God's promise is true. Yet this temptation incessantly assails me. Doubt him. Distrust him. He will leave you yet. I can assure you that when that temptation is aided by a nervous state of mind, it is very hard to stand day by day and say, No, I cannot doubt my God. I'll say it again. I'm convinced that all Christians will doubt. Some more than others, but all of us in our own ways. I thank him for passages like this. Let's continue. Secondly, back to this passage, the purpose of the testimony in verses 10 through 12. Can we first look at verse 13? After he's written this about the testimonies, and he, John writes this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's always what John's doing. He wants to convince people. He wants people to know and be assured Listen to at the end of his gospel, the gospel of John. He writes this, Now Jesus did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's John's motivation from the gospel of John, from here at 1 John. All of this, all of these things were given so that you might believe and might, you might know that you have eternal life. Let's learn more. Verse 10. Verse 10 says this. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. From verse 10, we see that eternal life is through belief. Whoever believes in the Son of God Right? We hear that over and over. We need to be saying it over and over. It's not earned. It's not of works. It is undeserved. All of this comes to us by believing in Jesus. I ask you again, today, this morning, where are you in reference to Jesus? Are you redefining Jesus? Well, I, I, I've heard you. I've, heard, I've read this. I've heard Pastor Chuck preach. I, I, I'm not, not going to accept. Are you redefining Jesus? Are you refusing Jesus? Are you unbelieving this Jesus? Are you rejecting this Jesus? 
I have to be perfectly clear. This passage is, if you are one of those, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Just so you know, you're redefining, you're rejecting, you are calling God a liar. This is the testimony that God has borne. In verses 11 and 12, we, we see something else. And as I read these, pers- these verses, um, 11 in the first phrase of verse 12, would you please note the tenses? The tenses? Verse, verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. I mean, every tense is there. There's the, he gave us the son. This is eternal life, future, and you, this life today. Eternal life is a future and a present possession. Eternal life isn't just something that's in the future. It's something right now. Something to be received and enjoyed and lived now and forever. And in verse 12. We see in verse 12 more. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 12, eternal life is only found in Jesus. Oh, what an incredible passage of Scripture. Folks, this is why God gave us countless witnesses, countless evidences. And today we've looked at three of them, right? The water, the blood, and the Spirit. These all testify, speaking about who Jesus is. Those more. I remember in my college days and seminary days, a book that really was helpful to me was Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Powerful book. I would encourage you to read it if you're struggling with how do these things all come together and if doubts are something that's haunting you right now. It could be a book that could be well used by the Spirit of God in your life. Or Lee Strobel's books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith. Use these powerful witnesses. But all of this, the witnesses, these truths about Jesus, so that we could believe and that we could know that we have eternal life. This is why we at Westchester always present Jesus to you. And we always call everyone to believe because there's salvation in no other name. Well, how do we respond? I have some practical steps in response to this passage. The first one is this. Use the witnesses of 1 John 5. Oh, yes, there are other witnesses. But use the water, the blood, and the Spirit I believe John gave them to us to build our affections for Jesus. Consider the water. Maybe in those dark nights, instead of going astray, consider the water that Jesus came to this earth. He became a man, a human being. He took on our nature. He was in the water. He he wasn't some fake thing, some spirit. He was a human being. He came here for us. Consider the blood. 
that he did for you what you could never do for yourself. And shed his blood. Consider the Spirit, how the Spirit's always, always pointing to Jesus, always opening our eyes to Jesus, that they would build our affection. Learn Jesus. You, you love him not because you know him not. Let the Spirit open your eyes. Uh, a couple of weeks, weeks ago, Lynn Vanderplug in our Stephen ministry meeting uh, shared some, uh, kind of a devotional with, with our staff, our team of Stephen ministers, and she quoted Billy Graham. And Billy Graham, towards the end of his life, was asked how he kept faithful, and he said this simple phrase, and I, I, I just want to say to you, Billy Graham said, I've learned to believe my beliefs and doubt my doubts. Use the witnesses. Secondly, talk to someone about your doubts. We all struggle with doubts. Westchester must be a place. We must be a place where we can be honest with each other and we can talk about our doubts. We must be a place where we can help each other. Students, High school students, college students, and beyond. I believe students are particularly attacked. Their faith is being attacked. Students, talk about your doubts. <coughs> Seniors, I think it's hard to finish well. I think for seniors, there's times when, didn't have many doubts before, but the doubts are starting to come. The successful Sometimes in our success, we become so comfortable and we can begin to doubt because we don't really need anything. Students, seniors, successful, the stressed. I think at moments of stress, the doubts can come and Satan will use whatever he can to plant doubts within us. Talk to someone about your doubts. A third practical step. Examine the alternatives. In John 6, Jesus taught some difficult truths. They were hard to understand. He was talking about his flesh and his blood and had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And and it said many took offense. Many turned away and left him because it was difficult. It was hard to understand things. And then Jesus looked at his disciples. And he said this to him, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Lord, to whom shall we go? I say that to you. As you consider Jesus, as you are doubting Jesus, as maybe you're redefining Jesus or rejecting him, where else are you going to go? Examine the alternatives. John Owen again, back in the 1600s, 
He said this to his people. I say this to you. Consider your beloveds to this beloved. What have you gotten by them? Those minor ones. Those beloved things. Not Jesus, those other things. What have you gotten by them? Let us see the peace, the quietness, the assurance of everlasting blessedness that they have given you. Their paths are crooked paths. Whoever goes in them shall not know peace. Behold Jesus, a fit object for your choicest affections, one in whom you may find rest to your souls, and one in whom there is nothing will grieve and trouble you to eternity. Examine your alternatives. There's nowhere else to go. And lastly, from Jude 22, have mercy on those who doubt. May we be a church who have mercy on those who doubt. This doesn't mean we ignore them. It doesn't mean we excuse them. It doesn't mean we hope them well and send them on their way. But it does mean that we have compassion. We have patience. That we are approachable. We are transparent and yet we're prepared. We're willing to engage. We're willing to argue if that's what you need. We will pray for. We will have mercy on those who doubt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Oh, Lord, thank you for how you have already helped us. The testimonies that you've given. Lord, I pray that these, as we'll consider this passage, Lord, I pray that these will build our affection for Jesus. Oh, Lord. Do your work in us. There are times we doubt. Thank you for how you minister to us. Help us to minister to each other, to build each other's faith. In Christ's name I pray, amen.